Welcome to 715, midweek at 715. My name is AJ. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's phenomenal to be in the house of the Lord with you guys tonight. We are um, ending our series, Fire and Water, tonight, which I hope has been good for you. It's been a series for me that has um, profoundly impacted me, changed the way I view God in a number of ways, and it's drawn me closer to him. And I've been grateful for just the way the Lord has been meeting us in this season as his presence increases in this place and as we have greater moments of encounter with him. I feel like the Lord is helping us to navigate that well with him. And I pray that you are walking with God through this season and that he's meeting you, not just here, but everywhere. We're going to be in Acts 2 tonight. Probably should have just had y'all keep standing. Didn't realize I was going to skip my introduction. But we're going to be in Acts 2, and we're going to read the first 13 verses of Acts 2. So would you stand back up with me for the reading of the Word of God? The first 14 verses, rather. Acts 2, verses 1 through 14. This is the Word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound, like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there dwelling in Jerusalem, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude, and at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in our own native language? Parthens, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Persia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors of Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked, saying they are filled with new wine. But Peter standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Would you pray with me? Lord, we submit this time to you. We ask that you would come, that you would fill my mouth with your words. God, that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a mind to understand what the spirit of the living God is saying to us in this place tonight. Lord, have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. You may be seated. I wonder if you've ever been told what to do, but not been told how to do it. You ever find yourself in that place, you've been told what to do, but not been told how to do it. You probably got an assignment like this at work at some point in time, a new responsibility, a new thing you had to do, and it came without instructions. How frustrating is that? And I remember my life in that space, in the corporate world, and it kind of just felt like all of us were making it up as we went every day, and nobody knew what they were doing, but we just figured it out. <laughs> Very few true experts in the world, but 
We're smart enough to make a way. You get told what to do, not how to do it. A lot of times we tell people what to do, but we don't tell them why it needs to be done. And that's a big problem in our communication a lot of times is we are quick to take the shortest route on communication. So we just say what we need, but we don't create any empathy to discuss why we need it. I just say this, if you want to lead in any atmosphere in your life, you need to get real familiar with the why we do things, not just the what we do. Because a lot of times you can be told what without being told how. And this truth for me became really evident in, uh, man, what grade? It was high school. It must have been like ninth or 10th grade high school. I had a geometry teacher, Mr. Troya. He might still be at the school. Actually, now that I think about it, he was the grouchiest, meanest, toughest. Like, I don't know if he actually had disdain for the students, but it sure felt like he had disdain for the students. And he boasted in that. He wasn't like trying to hide it. He just, that's who he was. He was like, I mean, I'm tough. Get over it. Sit down. Shut up. It's geometry time. You're like, all right, this is going to be a long year. But, and so I obviously remember him for a lot of reasons. Some of them, you know, maybe traumatic, but there's one thing he taught us at the start of the year that shaped the way I think about this principle for the rest of my life. He said, I can teach you the math and I can teach you what to do. I can tell you the formulas and you can memorize them and then you can recite them and regurgitate them on the test. And that's, that's one thing, but I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you how to do it, how the math works. I'm going to tell you why the math works so that you don't have to memorize formulas. You understand the spirit of the, the whatever, the discipline of geometry, which who knew at this point in my life, I'd still be talking about 10th grade geometry. Um, but that fundamentally changed the way I saw every problem in my life from then on. I wasn't just looking at what is the problem so then there I can find a solution, but you're looking layers beneath. How did we get here? Why are we here? What is the root cause? What is the purpose underneath? And I think what we find in this story in Acts, in Acts 2, if you go back a chapter and you read a little bit of the context of Acts 1, you find Jesus giving his disciples an instruction. He tells them what to do. He says, go to Jerusalem and wait for me. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Now, he doesn't tell them how it's going to come or why it's going to come. He doesn't tell them what it's going to look like, where it will be, or anything. He just gives them an instruction without any information. And I know that all of us have found ourselves right there with God. Given an instruction and no additional information. Why don't you just wait on me? For how long? For what purpose? When will you come back? What it's going to look like? I'm going to deliver you. Great. Care to elaborate? Just trust in me. I got that part. For what? And so much of our walk with God is given an instruction with no additional information. And there's a purpose for that. Because that's where faith grows. Is when you are obedient without understanding how it's going to come to pass. Waiting on God requires faith, and that faith becomes the soil for the supernatural. So Jesus tells his disciples, go and wait for me in Jerusalem. And he says, right after this, he says, because you know, John baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So go ahead and wait for me. 
Now, we take for that for granted because we can read the whole canon of Scripture and we get the teaching on it, but I don't know that the disciples knew exactly what he meant when he said, I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. I don't know that they had a whole lot of context for what this moment was going to look like, when it was going to come to pass, and how they would know that that's what was happening in the moment. They just are told, go and wait, and then something's going to happen, and you'll know it when you see it. Okay, so we can do that. So they go to Jerusalem and wait. And what they didn't realize, obviously, was that God was getting ready to give them the greatest gift that they would ever receive. But they had to wait to receive it in faith. So they're in Jerusalem, and they're waiting on something to happen. And it's the day of Pentecost. And Pentecost is actually an annual festival. It happens 50 days after the Passover, and it's a harvest festival. It's a festival celebrating and thanking God for the harvest. And I think that's actually very important for the context of our message tonight because it's at the time of the harvest that God equips his people to take the gospel into places it's never been before. So this moment of this happening at Pentecost, a harvest festival, and this move of the Holy Spirit, I think for us in our context becomes very important because what I ultimately want to talk about tonight is how God equips his church at a time when the harvest is plentiful. How does God move in those seasons and in those times? And what I think is really cool is that the way that Christ empowers us to be effective witnesses has everything to do with our baptisms. So he talks about the baptism of John. This is Acts 1, 5. He says, John baptized with water. He's speaking of John the Baptist. And this is a baptism we're familiar with. The baptism of water, it evidences repentance. It's for the forgiveness of sins baptized into the body of Christ. We celebrate them here at midweek a couple times a month. And so we understand that. But then he goes on to say, John baptized you with water. I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Which actually calls back to something John the Baptist had said early on in his ministry in Matthew 3, verse 11. In Matthew 3, 11, John describes this like so. He says, I, John, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So we have this new idea referenced by John the Baptist in the Gospel of Matthew, echoed again by Jesus after his resurrection, that, yeah, you're going to be baptized with water, but there's going to be a moment where Christ also baptizes you with the fire of the Holy Spirit. John talks about it. Jesus talks about it. And so the question for us tonight that we've got to ask is, why do we need a second baptism? What is that for? Why is there an immersion into the Holy Spirit that is needed? What's the purpose and what does it mean for us tonight? And that's what I want to focus on here. Because I believe that the journey of a believer is from fire through water and back into the fire. Title of the message tonight is from the water into the fire. And I want to look at three things that happen when we are immersed in the spirit of God. I believe when we're immersed in the spirit of God, it engages the individual, it enables the supernatural, and it empowers the witnesses. I want you to know tonight that God desires to dwell with his people. He wants to be with you. 
I don't know how you perceive him or what you think about him when you think about God. I don't know what image comes to your mind, but whatever the image is, I want you to know that at his core, at his root, at his heart, he wants to be with you. And this is evidence all over the Bible. I'll speed through this just for the sake of time, but you can go all the way back to the garden. We talked about that last week, God's original design to dwell with us. You can look at when God delivered his people out of Egypt and he led them by a day, by a, a pillar of smoke or cloud, and by night it turned into a pillar of fire. You can look at the moment when um, God gives Moses and Aaron instructions for the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a temporary temple So a beautiful, ornate tent in which was the presence of God and the Israelites would carry it with them through the wilderness. And when they would stop to make camp for a period of time, they would set it up in the spirit. The presence of God would dwell and hang over the tabernacle. And as long as it was there, they would stay there. But if it moved on, they would pack up and move on and follow it. And that was a temporary dwelling place that was paving the way for the temple of God, which came after King David's reign and his son Solomon finished the temple in Jerusalem. And in the inner courts of the temple was the Holy of Holies, the place where the most concentrated power and presence of God was so special and sacred was it that few could even enter in there. And when they did, there were all kinds of rules and laws and rituals and certain times of the year and certain people and all this mess. And if you violated any of them, the presence was so thick, you dropped down dead in it. What I'm trying to say is that fire has always been a motif for the presence of of God and the places where God dwells are sacred. They are special. There are chapters in the Bible dedicated to outlining every detail of the tabernacle and every detail of the temple and everything had to be in the right place at the right time in the right way, full of symbolism and imagery and beauty. They were sacred. The places where God dwelt were holy. They were set apart. They were unlike anything else. And you would never dare to think or to treat the tabernacle as common or familiar. You would hold it with high honor and high respect because it was holy. And the places where God's presence dwelt was consecrated. It was set aside for a specific purpose. And it was only to be used for that purpose in those times. And that is where the presence of God dwelt for most of the history of the Bible and the Old Testament. And that is what the Jewish faith, the Jewish believers knew and understood to be what God's presence on earth looked like. And so when you get to Pentecost and you have these disciples gathered around waiting on God and they hear this loud sound, sound of a mighty rushing wind that blows into the room and fills the room and there's something happening like if this room if these curtains just started blowing in and everyone got that big breeze and that chill and you're going what's happening you're hearing this almost like a train running through the sanctuary and it's calling everybody's attention and you're all stepped back pushed to the back of your chairs stunned and then you look and above everybody's head becomes this little little flame of light this little tongue of fire over each one of us This is far beyond a supernatural occurrence. This is a paradigm-shifting revelation because what this is pointing to is that the presence and the power and the fire of God is no longer confined to one place at one time in one location for one purpose with one ritualistic preparation for it, but now the presence of God comes to dwell with you personally, the individual, wherever you are. The tongues of fire changed everything about how, what they knew about God, how he dwelt with us, and how he worked with us. And if the presence of God 
is to be held in sacred, holy, and consecrated places. And now it is to be held in you. What does that say about you? That there must be something about the way that God sees you that is now sacred, that is holy, that is set apart for his purposes, a place where God is pleased to dwell. And that preaches really good. But sometimes I wonder how it sounds from your chair. Because it's nice to tell you, you are holy and pure and sanctified and righteous. And I have sat in those seats and gone, I am a lot of things. That is not one of them. And if you could hear my thoughts, you might have other words for how you would describe me. And if you knew what I said and what I did and... You might not be calling me, you'd be calling me something, but you wouldn't be calling me that. And I understand what you're saying. I've been there. We're all, in some sense, sitting there. Part of your growth with Jesus is learning to see yourself in a new light. But I think it would be helpful for us if there was like a moment in your life, if there could be like a moment in your walk with Jesus where you knew you were washed clean from all of the impurities of your past, your present, and your future. Wouldn't it be great if there was a moment you could point to in your walk with Jesus where you knew you were made new by his spirit? Like, like you knew that you testified that you've repented from your former lifestyle, you have received the forgiveness of God, that you are trusting in Jesus entirely for your salvation, and he is now the Lord of your life. And if there were like some place in the church where we could show that to everybody and know that we were washed clean, if only there was a baptism moment where we celebrate collectively what happened on the inside, and we testify to our church family and to God that the old has gone and the new has come. And the, oh yes, I was dirty, like filthy rags dirty, like all kinds of messed up dirty. But do you know what happened to me when I went in that water and came up out of it before Jesus, testifying to the blood of Jesus over my life and over my, do you know what happened in that moment? That's the moment that I know that I know that I know that I was washed clean and made pure in his sight. This is the gift of baptism. Now, let me be clear. Does baptism wash you clean of your sins? No. The blood of Jesus does that. Your faith, by grace, through faith, is what brings you close to God. It is the blood of Jesus on the cross that does that. But that moment right over there testifies and signifies and is a mile marker in your life for the moment that you knew that you made that decision and that God was faithful to forgive you. And you look back on that moment when you doubt in your faith later and you go, I might be struggling now, but I knew then that God's forgiven me and he has washed me clean, not just of past sins, but of present ones and of future ones. And that's where we get messed up. But let me move on because I need to get through my message. 
So if there's a moment we know we're washed clean, that means we are now a place where the Spirit of God is pleased to dwell. And that fact right there ought to fundamentally change the way you think about yourself for all of eternity. That is an identity-shifting moment. And I get that it's a bit of a journey where you've got to remind yourself of that. You've got to come back to the truth. And that's why genuinely I believe the moment of baptism is so important to look back on and to hold fast to and to remind yourself of that in the future. And we need that. But that alone can change your identity and it can change what you think when you think about yourself. So then how do I know that God is with me and God is dwelling with me? Like I was baptized, but sometimes I don't feel like he's with me. I think the Bible shows us evidence that you have been made holy, been made clean, been made a dwelling place for the Lord by the fact that the Holy Spirit takes up residence within you and produces the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit through you. How else would the Spirit of the living God dwell with you unless you had been made righteous in the eyes of the Lord? And so that's what we see at this moment. The Spirit of God engaging the individual, evidencing and testifying something different about those who followed Jesus Christ. The evidence of the presence, that the presence of God was pleased to dwell within the disciples was the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. In this case, specifically, the speaking of tongues. And that's the second thing that the presence of God does when we're immersed in it. First thing is it engages us individually. The second thing it does is, is it enables the supernatural. If we are the redeemed of the Lord, and if we are a place where the Spirit of God is pleased to dwell within, there ought to be some evidence of that. And that evidence will serve as a testimony and a witness to those who have not yet encountered Christ. So here's what happens. In Acts 2, alongside the disciples are, and I love that it says this, are some devout Jewish men. I love that it goes the extra length to say they, they were devout. Maybe there were others that were not. But these are Jews who knew the scriptures, who knew the word, and were faithfully following the law. And they begin to hear the disciples speaking in their native languages, languages they wouldn't have known how to speak. I think it was over 13 different regions represented in that room and in that space. And you're hearing all kinds of different language, and they're hearing of the mighty works of God spoken in their own tongues. And I love it. It says they were bewildered, amazed, astonished. And perplexed. I don't know if you can find me another place in the scriptures that use this many adjectives and superlatives. The Bible is pretty even keel with this stuff. But here it says that these men were bewildered, amazed, astonished, and perplexed. Because they were hearing Galileans speak in their native tongue. And what they were hearing these Galileans speak of, they described as the mighty works of God. And it confused them, but it communicated something to them about how, how awesome, how mighty, and how powerful God was in that moment. And so in that moment, the act of the Spirit, the speaking of tongues, caused many of them to lean in and hear about the works of God. They began to inquire about the source. They wanted to know more. What is, what is happening here? How is this occurring? What's going on? But that's not how it was for everybody. Because that little short verse 13 says, Others, mocking them, said, They are filled with new wine. Which honestly is the only other reasonable explanation for hearing people speaking all kinds of different languages. They're either empowered by the living God or 
They're drunk. And the Bible shows us that there's two ways that we can respond to an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We can lean in. We can inquire about the source. We can desire more of God. Or we can mock, step back, and be content to chide from a distance. And the question for us in this season, in this moment we find ourselves in, is how will you respond to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Will you lean in and find the source? Or will you use it as a moment to step back and kind of observe and watch and kind of go like, I don't know, these guys are kind of crazy, man. Grace Covenant, they're, they're some nice people, but they're crazy. I, and I would say both of those things are true, by the way, but that's not the point. How will you respond to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> I would tell it. Okay, all right. A little bit crazy. Okay. Uh, how will you respond to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? And the, the, one of the things I just want to draw out here is, um, because, you know, we can all come and get our Christian extra credit and go like, yes, pastor, I'll respond well. But I'm not talking about responding in the comfortable ways. I'm not talking about a fairly, I would say, easy way when we have a great worship moment like we did and we stop and we wait and we sit in silence and you go like, I'll lean into that. I'll press into I'm talking about the moments where Pastor Tiffany gets a word of knowledge about a healing that's happening in this sanctuary and we wait for that person to identify themselves. What will you do in that moment? What are you doing in the moment where the person next to you starts praying in tongues during worship? Or when somebody gets up and says, thus says the Lord, and gives a prophetic word to our church. In those moments, that might be uncomfortable for you. That might be new to you. That might be a little bit abnormal to you. That might make you go, what is going on here? How will you respond in those moments? Because you have two options. You can press in, allow faith to rise up, desire for more of God, or you can step back. And it's not a question of if it's going to happen, because it's going to happen. The question is how will you respond when it does happen? And I just want to share one thought very quickly. It's a little bit of a tangent, but I do think it's important for us in the unique season that we find ourselves in. Because there are many of us who have become a little bit, I'm going to be careful with my language here because I want to speak very intentionally, a little bit too comfortable engaging with church only online. I'm not saying church online is bad. Look, we got cameras right now. I'm speaking to you. Welcome. I'm glad that you're here with us. I'd rather you be with us than not with us. But 2020 changed things for a lot of us. And getting to church became the better option, but not the only option. And I'm not... Listen, my wife has kids. She misses half of churches because somebody is sick, right? So she just can't come. And so I'm grateful for church online. But here's what I want to say. There will be a temptation the further removed you get from the people of God to be an observer of what's happening rather than a participator. And church for you will become your favorite TV show where you suspend disbelief. You engage in the little concert. You watch your favorite character share a nice message. And then you disengage from what's happening in the spirit in the room. And I'm just saying that's the temptation. And I'm not saying it's exclusive to those who watch online because there's people in this room now who aren't engaged in the message, who are pressed back in their chair looking at their phone and doing other things. There's people in the, in the lobby. I'm not being mean. I'm just saying I'm not just trying to pick on people online. There's people in the lobby right now who are not engaging with the message because they're saying I'm getting credit for being in the house. 
And as long as I'm there, I get the credit that I need from God. But there's going to be and there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit happening here. And the question for you is when that happens here, how will you respond? And if you're not here, you won't be able to. It's hard to engage with the Spirit of God from afar. How many times in this passage, read Acts 1 and 2 again. How many times does it say gathered together? They were gathered together. They found themselves gathered together. And again, they were gathered together. And the believers got together. That has to be important. It has to testify to something about what happens when the people of God come together. We disengage. We could sit back. We cannot participate. Think this moment is for them. It's not for me. And and I'm genuinely not just trying to be critical or make you feel guilty. Because that's not the purpose of this. Because what's happening here, I believe, is genuinely special. And I believe it is, I believe it is life-changing. Part of the reason we're so sensitive to what the Spirit is doing in these moments of worship is because we know the Spirit is rewiring people's hearts. He's healing you. He's revealing himself to you. You're repenting. You are seeing Jesus as beautiful in a way you've never seen him before. And far be it from me to get up here and pull you out of that too quickly. We're not here for me. We're here for him. And so when he comes, you get to encounter him and he gets to do the work no man can do. And I want that for all of you. That's why I lean into this point about engaging with what's happening in this space. Because God can change you forever if you encounter him and he will do the supernatural in your life the gifts of the spirit exist now for a couple really important reasons but one of the most important is that they serve to evidence the reality of the glory of god and to give a testimony of jesus so the purpose of the disciples being filled speaking in tongues, was to enable a moment that they could testify of Christ, which is why Peter jumps up and begins to preach. Do you notice this? They're gathered together. The wind blows. The little flames appear on everybody's head. We're going, what is going on? We start speaking in languages we don't know, speaking in tongues. That sound was so loud, it brought the devout Jews into the room. Like they heard this rushing, this noise, and they came in and they walk into this room of Galilean uh, disciples of Christ speaking their native tongues. They're going, what is, what the, what is happening? Who, what? And Peter goes, I got you. Let me tell you what's going on. That was the purpose of the display of the gift of the spirit. Not to be impressive in a church service, not to serve you. It was to create a moment by which others would get to hear the gospel. It's the third thing the Spirit does when we are fully immersed in it. It empowers us to witness. I don't know if you know this, but you need power to do ministry. In fact, you just need power to get through Thursday. (laughs) First, I was like, yeah, you need it for ministry. And then I was like, I kind of just need it on Saturday. And I just need it on Monday. (laughs) Like, I just need it. But if you're going to walk in God's will and walk according to his ways, you need power. One of my constant prayers before any moment of ministry, whether it's preaching or leading, pastoring, taking up an offering, is I pray, God, would you empower me for the work of the ministry? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit for the work of whatever it is, for preaching and teaching? Why? 
Because without the power of the Holy Spirit, on my best day, I'm a mediocre motivational speaker. And on my worst day, I'm a heretic. That's the spectrum for me without the Holy Spirit. I might be able to be moderately entertaining. Like that's my ceiling without God. That's the best I can be. Tell a few jokes, make you feel okay, send you out of here. But if I have the spirit of God with me, the words that I speak, this is one of the things that happens all the time I preach. People come up to me afterwards or later in the week, they said, you know, when you said, you know, this, that, and the other up there, and I'm going, I definitely did not say that. <laughs> but go ahead, go, yeah, yeah, it's great. Either you've got bad notes or what I believe is happening is the Holy Spirit is using my words to speak something to you that's forming you on the inside, that's changing you, that's speaking to where you're at. And if I don't have his help to edit in the moment, to flow, to navigate what he's doing and to just be open to be used by him, I am just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. There's another thing I pray when I minister in any capacity and that's a prayer that I pray for you. I pray that God would soften the soil of the hearts of all who come to hear and to receive the word. I pray that God would give you ears that would hear, eyes that would see, and a mind that would understand what he is saying, what the spirit of God is saying. Not what I'm saying, but what he's saying. Because it's his revelation that changes hearts and minds and leads to salvation. You need power to do ministry. You need power to encounter Jesus and to walk in his ways. And so when I pray for that, I'm not just praying that your mind changes. What I'm praying for is that God would do something supernatural with you individually. Many times in these moments of worship or of transition or of prophetic word or whatever it is, what you might not realize is happening is God is preparing people's hearts and minds to hear something in the message or in that moment. So when we pray for you, what we're really praying is that the supernatural power of God would do something that enables the witness to be more effective. I say all that because that's what's happening at Pentecost. The devout Jews, amazed, bewildered, astonished, perplexed, heard the speaking of tongues. The disciples had their attention and their ears were open. Some pressed in, some stepped back, but only Peter stepped up. And the question for you in this season that we find ourselves in is how will you respond when the Spirit of God opens a door for you to share the gospel? When the Spirit of God is doing something supernatural and you get, maybe it's even a word of knowledge for somebody or just a word of wisdom, a word of encouragement. Maybe it's an unction to pray for somebody's healing. Maybe you feel like you have a prophetic word for somebody and they're not a believer. So how do I share a prophecy with somebody? How do I... And you can shrink back in those moments and go, well, God, I don't, I, don't, I don't really know. Or you can be filled with the spirit of Peter who goes, this is the moment. Like, this is what all of that is for. The gifts of the spirit are not to be impressive. They're to allow the gospel to go forward, to testify to Jesus so that when we witness him, and we say, literally witness, I have seen him. I was a witness to Christ. I saw him, he moved, he changed my life. And let me tell you about what I have seen. And when we witness him to others, that becomes more effective when it's empowered by the supernatural. Peter saw the moment 
And he seized it as an opportunity to preach and proclaim the gospel because nothing makes people listen like the supernatural power of God. And this, by the way, is the whole reason Jesus told them to wait. He gave them the instruction, go and wait. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And then he tells them later, after they're waiting, and they're like, are you going to restore Israel? Like, what are you doing? Like, what's going next? What he says this in Acts 1.8. He clarifies the purpose for them and also for us. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They waited on the Holy Spirit and received him for the purpose that it would make them an effective witness. And what was the end result of Peter now basically preaching the first recorded gospel message in the New Testament. Let's read what happens in Acts 2, 37 and 38. Same chapter, just skipping down. You can read Peter's sermon tonight if you'd like. These are the devout Jews who encountered the tongues and now Peter jumps up, he preaches the message of Jesus and professes him as Lord in Christ. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said, to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to close here in just a second, and I want to close on this thought. The effective witness of Peter and the disciples who proclaimed the word of God and testified to Jesus was an opportunity that was created for them because the fire of the Holy Spirit fell in their midst and it opened a door for them. And he preached the word. And if you read it, I'll just be honest, it's not the most compelling sermon I've ever read. I'm sure it was effective in the moment. But when the spirit of God is speaking in like this, He's creating an avenue and a space for the word to go forward. The Jews heard it, and it says they were cut to the heart. You know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When you have seen the power and heard the good news, it cuts you to your core. And it leaves you asking one question. What do I do? Where do I go from here? Because I can't stay the same. I know I have to change. So tell me. Because clearly you know, what do I do? And Peter says, here's, here's exactly what you do. You repent turn from the way you were living, you follow Jesus. You ask him for forgiveness. You repent. You have a new view on yourself and your life. And you mark that moment in the waters of baptism. And that's how you know that you know that you know that you've been made new. You participate in the sacred act that testifies to Jesus' death and to his resurrection and so to your death and your resurrection. And you are made new. But wait. There's more. Too many of us stopped in the water. 
Too many of us were happy with what happened in the tank. We were happy to receive our ticket to glory. We were happy stopping at salvation. But as we have talked about in this this house, salvation is not the end goal. Because if it was, we'd hold you down in the water (laughs) and send you on to glory. (laughs) But certainly there's a reason we pull you back up. (laughs) He says, repent, be baptized, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit as well. Here's what I want you to see. This is the cycle. Those who are filled with the spirit are empowered to be an effective witness. The people they witness to see Jesus and repent. They then are baptized, come up out of the waters and are given the opportunity to receive the full gift of the Holy Spirit that they might be an effective witness to the glory of God and the power of Christ in them. That they might then testify and share the good news of God to those who have not heard it. And when they do so in power, that word will cut between soul and spirit, bone and marrow, right to the heart, right through every intention. It will cut them to their core and it will change them from the inside out. And they will go, what do I do? And you say, you repent. You profess your faith in Jesus. And you get baptized in the water. And then I'm going to lay my hands on you that you would receive the gift of the Spirit. That you would now become an effective. This is from the fire of the Spirit. Through the waters of the baptism. Into the fire of the Spirit. This is the journey of the believer. Is that it doesn't stop with just we receive something from God. And so we can now focus on becoming more blessed with Him. We receive something from God so that we can tell others what we've received from God. And he helps us do that. We all know there's the gifts of the Spirit, but maybe we don't know what to do with it. We all know we're supposed to evangelize, but a lot of us don't know how to do it. What if those two things were connected? And what if the way that you evangelized, what if the way that you had gospel conversations, what if the way that you were just salt and light in the earth, What if the way that you just communicated the love of Jesus was powered by the Holy Spirit working in you and with you? And as you walk through your life and as you pray, you are sensitive to the unction of the Holy Spirit that says that person right there. Just go start a conversation. Just go pray with them. That person right there is going through a divorce. Go and tell them, that the Lord told you. Go and tell them that I told you to tell them. And watch and see how these people go, man, I was, I was, I don't really believe in God, but I was asking him for a sign. Or how could you have possibly known that about me? And you go, God loves you that much that he told me because he wants to know you and he wants you to know him. What if we saw the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit as the greatest tool in our arsenal that empowered us to do everything in our lives? That wasn't just saved for a few like really religious zealots who were just really excited and they must have grown up in some kind of church, but it's not for me. 
Peter doesn't say repent and be baptized and if you want, we can talk about this other thing. He says you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's my last thought and then I want us to pray together. Everybody who receives salvation has the Holy Spirit. And when you get God, you don't get a part of God. You get all of God, right? You have received the gift. You might not have opened it yet. Do you understand the difference? When you professed your faith in Jesus and you made him Lord of your life and you chose to follow him all of your days, he gave you the Holy Spirit. You received the gift, but maybe you just haven't opened it yet. And so I'm going to give us a moment to open the gift. Because I would be so remiss to teach you something and not give us a moment in faith to believe God for it in greater measure. Would you stand with me as we close and we can, we'll go into a moment of worship here. Acts 19 verse 6 says this, when Paul had laid hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. Bible talks about how we who are wicked can give good gifts to our children. It says, how much more does your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him for them? I believe the Holy Spirit is a good gift that God has given you who have professed faith in Jesus. And I believe tonight for us to operate fully in the work of God for our lives. We've got to be bold enough and filled with enough faith to be willing to open the gift. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to have you pray with me. Some of you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're in the gifts and I would ask you in this moment, intercede for those who haven't. And ask God for the, his presence to fall in this place tonight and move among us. And I am believing that the Spirit of God is going to unlock gifts in this room tonight. And as we pray, and as you, if you have faith to believe and you desire the Holy Spirit and the gifts, just ask God for it. And just maybe let your mouth open and see what comes out of it. But do so with faith, believing that it's a good gift that God's given you. Not a scary thing, not a weird thing, not a marginalized. This is the way the gospel goes forward in the earth. Lord, we're looking to you now, Father, to send your spirit in this place, to move in power, to move in signs, and to move in wonders. God, we believe that the gift of the spirit is a good gift. It's a gift you've given us. It's a gift that you desire us to have. And if we would ask for it, God, you would be faithful to give it to us. Lord, we're not satisfied with not having the fullness of you. We want more of you in greater measure in this moment. So Spirit of God, would you fall in this place? If you're desiring the gifts of the Holy Spirit, just pray with me. Say, God, I want more of you. 
Fill me with your spirit now. Produce in me the gifts of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, and the work of the spirit to transform me from the inside out. God, let me now have the gift of tongues in this place to speak in a language I don't know. God, give me now the gift of prophecy to hear from heaven and to testify on your behalf. God, give me now a gift of healing in this place to know who to pray and how to pray, to see your healing hand extended in the earth. God, give me words of knowledge. Give me words of wisdom. Father, because I'm not satisfied only going in my strength. God, I want to go in your power. So fill me, Lord. I want more of you in this place. And if you have the faith for it, just open your mouth and speak what comes out. And believe God that he is moving now in you. You don't need to be powerful. You don't need to be wild. You need to be controlled and led by the Spirit of God to produce in you what he desires you to have. The full measure of his Spirit that equips you to to see the supernatural happen in your life and makes you a powerful minister of his God. Lord, let your work be completed in this place. Every man, every woman, every child who desires you, Lord, I pray you would pour your spirit out on them now. You would move in them now. You would transform them now. That this would be a moment like their water baptism that they would point back to and know that they know that they know that they know that the God of all creation is alive. He is active. He is powerful. He still speaks. He still heals. He still sets people free. He is still close to us. He's not abandoned us, but he moves in signs and wonders and in power in this place. Lord, we trust in you that your work would be done here. Let it be so according to your will and for your glory we pray in Jesus' mighty name. And give him an amen and a hand clap in this place.